Podcast Answer Man, episode number 236. Hey, this is Rick, co-founder and CEO of Blog World New Media Expo, and you're listening to the Podcast Answer Man. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the podcast answer man this is the podcast about podcasting helping you take your show to the next level it doesn't matter if you're a brand new podcaster if you've been podcasting for many years or you haven't quite yet recorded that first episode gosh you got to get over to learn how to podcast.com anyway hey today i have what is going to be one of the most important episodes a podcast answer man that I've ever produced. Or, well, at least for me. Uh, it really is. In fact, I am so excited to finally be able to bring to you my interview with Leo Laporte. A dream come true for me, my friends. This is something that I shared with my audience on a podcast that I produced called Pursuing a Balanced Life. You can see that at pursuingabalancedlife.com has well over 500 episodes of that show. And about two years ago, I had shared that I had a dream of meeting two people that that just I would love to get to talk to these guys to explain how much of an influence they would be or they have been in my life. And um, and uh, one of those people were, was Dan Miller uh, of 48 Days to the Work You Love. He's a well-known author and and drastically changed my uh, perspective on what work is and the concept that we can design work around our lives and not our lives around our work. And uh, I I had the opportunity of interviewing Dan Miller about a week after I told people uh, that that was a dream of mine. And today I'm, I'm very happy and proud to call Dan Miller a close personal friend and uh, I, I love the fact that he's not only just a friend, but he's also a client. And I produce his show for him on a weekly basis over at 48days.com slash listen if you're interested. But anyway, uh, during that same episode, I, I guess maybe it's been two years ago, uh, during that same episode, I, I explained that that the other dream was to, to get the opportunity to meet Leo Laporte, uh, somebody that I've been watching for at least 15 years now. Uh and and I do think it was well it, well it's been fi- it, at least fifteen years, and so this is somebody who uh, basically introduced me to the world of podcasting. I was listening to or I was watching Leo Laporte on Tech TV, Tech TV and then uh, all of a sudden that that cable network went away. It was on satellite for me, but anyway, it's they still called it a cable network. Anyway, uh, that that. That show went away. Leo Laporte, unfortunately, was no longer on TV anymore. And um, I was very sad, to be honest with you. And I would occasionally check out uh, Leo's uh, blog over at leovale.com, as you'll hear in the interview. But also, I just want to let you know that I started to occasionally check out his radio show, just the recordings that he was putting online. And then all of a sudden, he started doing this thing called podcasting. And of course, thus, my introduction into the world of podcasting. And it wasn't too long after that uh, that I started to listen to all of his shows that he was producing with all these amazing people that I used to watch on TV with him. 
And uh, it, he started the This Week in Tech show that, that just blew my mind, absolutely fell in love with it, fell in love with other shows, and ultimately got to the place where I, I believed it was possible for me to do a podcast. And then when I started doing a podcast, I fell in love with the fact that a community had been built around it, the fact that I was having an, a positive impact in people's lives by sharing my life and my passions online and and one day I had this wild, crazy dream that I would love to do this full time one day. And of course, not believing that's possible, but I kind of let that slip out. That, that was a dream of mine. And all of a sudden, people started to encourage me and people said, you should do it. And and I every time that happened, I told Stephanie. And one day, Stephanie said, you got to do it. And boom, here I am today, a couple years later now, four years later, and I am podcasting full time as my career and doing quite well, I might add. And uh, so, so you can imagine just how important it is to me, uh, you know, as far as as get you know getting the opportunity to meet Leo Laporte, and and so he's a hero of mine. I, I'm not afraid to say that. In fact, I'm going to tell you a couple different things uh, in the show notes, uh, podcastanswerman.com forward slash Leo interview. You can go to that web address. That's the show notes for episode 236 here. And you'll see a link to a video that's uh, of it's the video of me meeting Leo Laporte for the very first time. It's me being completely blown away by the fact that he already knew who I was. That he already he not only that, but he's been following my journey all all of these years. He's been impressed by the work that I'm doing. And I would imagine that he's probably heard me <laughs> share some of my thoughts about some of the things that he has said in the past. Um, in, in fact, what, we're going to get into that in just a second. Also, I want to let you know that I guess it was two episodes ago I had shared that I was planning on going to uh, Blog World LA, that I was going to do a meetup there. That went extremely well. We had about 15 GSPN community members uh, meet me at Tra- Trader Vix down at LA Live and just had an amazing evening with those 15 people from our community, people that I've known for years but finally got to meet face-to-face for the very first time. So awesome. Thank you for all of you who were uh, who are listening to this that were there. I'm so glad you came. Uh, and of course, I also had mentioned that I was going to go up to Petaluma. I was going to make it happen. I was going to go meet Leo Laporte. And uh, and I, I had come up with this idea, and I actually sent out an email saying, hey, everybody, I'm going here. I'm going to Petaluma. Wouldn't it be great if we could pack the entire studio audience of This Week in Tech, the live studio audience, with GSPN members? I think that would that would be really cool. And we can call it Occupy Twit. And, um, and I even proposed the hashtag, Occupy Twit. And I, I put all that out there. The next morning, I woke up, and some people said, yeah, may not be aware of what's going on just about an hour south of Petaluma down in Oakland with this Occupy Oakland. You know, if Leo doesn't know who you are, uh, you might they might get a little weirded out by this. You might want to cool down the Occupy Twit and maybe just call it a meetup. And so that's what I did. But I, I tell you what, go to the show notes. If you haven't seen it already, go to podcastanswerman.com forward slash Occupy Twit you won't believe what happened there. I'm telling you, my trip to the West Coast was way beyond my imagination. Of course, we talked all about that, I think, in the in the the episode 234 that I did with Anna uh, from Switzerland and also fightinganorexia.com. But anyway, uh, so we, you already got all of that. But here it is, the interview that I did with Leo. Now, I want to I set this thing up 
and we'll get right into the interview. Now, of course, I want to let you know the video of this interview is online. It's the video of me sitting at the table, the Twit studio table, the round table on the Twit set. And I'm interviewing Leo. And this is happening, by the way, live on his network at the same time that I'm re- re- uh, recording this. So about 5,000 or so people are there streaming, watching this live, which was amazing. Um, and I'm I'm interviewing Leo. And it looks great. I, I, I'm so proud of how the video came out. I, I, I'm actually sharing with you the, the video that I recorded from my uh, Canon Vixia HFG10, that's Henry Frank G10, uh, Canon, Canon Vixia HFG10 camera, beautiful video quality, um, and of course, um, let's see here, the, the audio is coming from my Sony wireless mic system, and in fact, all of the audio that you hear, both in this in this recording, because I actually stri- the interview I'm about ready to play in the audio episode here is actually stripped from the video, uh, and and it's actually coming from my wireless lapel mic that actually happens to be just sitting on the table between the two of us. So that's how great it is. It actually would have sounded better if I would have had two of these mics and and been able to to just lapel both of us. But uh, this worked beautifully. It worked actually perfectly, and I loved it. it. I'm just so excited. I hope that you'll, even if you listen to the audio here, I hope that you'll go and watch the video uh, just to just to play it for a little bit and see it. And for those who are, have watched the video already, I do hope that people will come here and listen to this episode because I'm going to give you some additional information both before the episode and after the episode. And uh, so before I get into the the uh, interview that I, I did with Leo, I want to give you just a little bit of a history of um, where some things have been in the past with me and Leo Laporte. Now, of course, I did. I was not aware that Leo knew me. I have my friend Gerald over at the Homeschool Netcast Network. He told me that he actually heard about me about two years ago, two or three years ago, from Leo Laporte on his radio show, he heard somebody uh, call in and said, how can I get into podcasting? And Leo started to explain it. And he says, I'll tell you what, what, what you want to do is you want to go over to this guy, Cliff Ravenscraft at podcastanswerman.com. And, you know, I, I heard him say that. And he's told me that a couple times. And I just I just had a hard time believing it for whatever reason. But uh, turns out it was definitely true. Leo, Leo certainly knew who I was. And um, the the idea for doing this interview was actually his idea. And and he 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 knew he knew all of the things uh, that that I've had an issue with I think uh, over the years, especially with him saying podcasting is dead. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a one. Now I'm going to have let me t- explain to you real quickly the links that you'll find on the show notes below the video. Uh, the Occupy Twitty the Occupy Twit video post. You can click on that. Um, you can click on the meeting Leo for the first time video post. I look like a little kid meeting a superhero. I, I'm like gushing. Okay, I, I admit it. I was a, I was yeah, starstruck. Whatever you want to call it, the fact is I have a profound amount of a profound amount of respect for this man and what he's done and how much of an influence he's been in my life. Okay, so yeah, I, I look like a little kid in the video. I'm not too embarrassed by it. Just a little bit, but not too bad. Too bad. But anyway, uh, but then here are the other four links that I'm going to have in the show notes right under the video. Uh, a post with um, that's going to link you back to an episode where Leo Laporte says podcasting is dead. It's going to actually be a podcast episode that I did 
where um, embedded in the show notes of that episode uh, is a video where he talks, I think it was to the online news media press or something like that. Anyways, pretty big event. And he gets up there and he talks about podcasting is dead. And in fact, I'm just going to play a little clip. And, and I really got upset when Leo said this because, again, Leo introduced me to the world of podcasting. I'm watching Leo uh, succeed in great ways. I've decided to leave my career in insurance to pursue podcasting full time. I'm succeeding at building a business following my passion around the world of podcasting. I'm seeing Leo succeed in a massive way in podcasting. And then... I hear Leo say these words. I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing next because podcasting essentially is dead. In fact, I, I, I knew podcasting was dead the day we started it. It's too darn hard. Um, one of the advantages you have with, with television and newspaper is it's easy. Television, you sit down, you push a button, it's there. Um, and podcasting is a, a lot, you have to, you know, in some ways that's our strength because anybody who's listening wants to be there. But we've kind of topped out, and every podcast will tell you this, the growth has really stopped because you have to figure out where the pod, that the podcast exists, figure out how to get it on iTunes. You have to go to the iTunes store for something that's free. You have to push a subscribe button. Boy, that sounds like I'm going to be paying some money. They already got my credit card. Then you have to figure out how to get it on your portable device. Then you have to listen to it. It's just too hard. So I realized this about a year ago, and I launched a new initiative. We're streaming live 24-7. Initially, it was just me making the podcast. Well, that was the content we had, but we're slowly growing it out. We're talking uh, to people like the New York Times to add content. We're doing more shows. We're doing news. What I want to build and what we can build very cheaply using off-the-shelf technology is essentially a CNN for geeks that's only on the Internet, that's there whenever they want it. All they have to know is the website. That's a lot easier than going to iTunes. So we've done that. The numbers are still a fraction of the download numbers. The downloads still are how we make our money, but we're slowly growing those, da- those live view numbers. All right, so there you go. So obviously, Leo Laporte, way back, I don't know how many years ago that was, probably about three, or f- about three, about three years ago probably, that Leo said, uh, podcasting is dead. I don't know. But anyway, I, I was upset. I was very upset. In fact, there's going to be a link in the show notes that you'll see. It says post with video of Leo saying podcasting is dead. And if you click that link, it's going to, you, you can actually watch the video, the entire video that Leo has there. And once it's done, you can listen to the podcast episode and you could just hear in my voice, in my words, I was very upset. I vehemently disagreed with Leo. Um, I, I do agree that podcasting at the time and and relatively still is is difficult for people to understand to wrap their mind around and all of this other stuff but uh not dead absolutely not dead and 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 the interview about that you're going to hear you're going to hear Leo say well it's a lot better today than it was and it's getting better and that we're still in the infant stages uh and the cool thing is um uh in the interview you're about ready to hear you're going to hear it straight from Leo podcasting is far from dead he he i mean not only did he say podcasting is not dead but far from it all right so you're going to hear that in the interview i that that for me was huge but anyway um there's also a post that i'm going to link to uh that i did in an episode after that i was listening to uh leo and and 
basically, I can't remember what episode number it was, but it's going to be linked to in the show notes. But there's a post that I'm going to link to that says uh, where Leo once said nobody cares about video. You know, and and I and and I and here's the thing: I, I played all this stuff and and talked about these things so passionately. I was very upset, very angry at times with Leo about some of these things that he was saying about you know, videos the future and podcasting is dead and live streams the future, podcasting is dead and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, I capture him saying things like nobody cares about video. And and so I have a link to that uh, post, which is a podcast episode where I actually play that audio clip for you and talk about it very passionately. I'm surprised if Leo's ever heard any of these episodes, which I assume that he has by now uh, from what I from my meeting with Leo. I assume that he's heard these interviews and I guess he's kind of probably let him go by because I was pretty upset with Leo in those. Although every single time I always said I have an extreme amount of respect uh, for this guy. Anyway, post with Leo saying that audio is what people really want. So yet another podcast episode way down the line. And then, of course, I even did a podcast episode about a New York Times episode that a New York Times article uh, that where where podcasting where basically Leo talks about um, or they interview Leo for the New York Times. And it's all about how he's built this massive empire. All right. So, um, you know, here here's the thing for me. My biggest gripe has been that Leo has always said that pod, or Leo has said multiple times podcasting is dead and that live streaming is the future. And this was a couple years ago. In fact, let me see if I can just click real quickly and uh, mute this real fast. Uh, 2000, so it was October of 2009. So 2010, 11. So we're talking two years ago. So two years ago, P, uh, Leo says podcasting is dead, that live streaming is the future. Two years ago, you heard in that audio clip that he says that live streaming is a fraction of the downloads. It's still a very small fraction of the downloads. You're going to get that here in the interview. Um, and 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 so, yeah, I, 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 I disagreed with Leo pretty vehemently. Uh, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and play this 20 minute, actually it's just under 20 minute interview that I did. Oh my goodness, guys, this was amazing. I'm so excited that I had this opportunity. Here is, and after this interview, I'll come back and give you a little bit of my commentary. But anyway, here is my interview with Leo Laporte. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Answer Man. Cliff Ravenscraft here, and you guys, dream come true. It's right here, live happening. It's my dream come true. I have all these questions for you, Cliff. <laughs> Leo Laporte. How do I make money? <laughs> Sorry, I, make I, should, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't yell. You shouldn't yell. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, Leo, it has been a great uh, journey watching you and being inspired by you continually, and Thanks. it's an honor to be here. And thank you for just opening up your studios to the world. It's great. We have people from all over the world visit all the time. It's really fun, you know. It gives us uh, feedback. When people throw stuff at us, then we we actually feel it. Now, Leo, uh, I've learned about you way back when you and Kate Patello were doing screensavers on ZDTV. You must have been eight. I was actually in my teens, I think. Yeah, Yeah, so. High school. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, I, I, I watched you guys because I was always into technology and I loved everything you guys were doing. And I watched the journey of screensavers as it went through to tech TV. And then, of course, unfortunately, seeing the network, uh, you know, go the wait side after, after a while. But um, 
I learned about podcasting by just going to leoville.com occasionally. Occasionally I would go to Leoville. And you and a lot of other people go there occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. It, Once but, in a while. Well, the thing is, is, I mean, this is before you got into the podcasting, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we, did, we, we, we didn't start. I mean, I was doing the radio show for years before I podcasted it. And yeah. that just was a question of making an RSS feed for it. So. And I was there right at the time when you got that one young guy. Matt Bischoff, who now works. He's a journalism student in New York City. And uh, yeah, just, he just texted me. He's still around. It's great. He's really involved in the new media and uh, computers and technology. But he told me in October 2004, yeah, there's this thing called podcasting. I think he was 16. Uh, and I said, what is it? And he said, well, don't you know? You make an RSS feed. I said, well, I, put, I was already putting the radio show on the website uh, to download, so it was, it was very easy. I handcrafted the uh, RSS, uh, and I would update it with a text editor every time I had a new show. But well, I made it a podcast. So you made it a podcast. When you started doing that, how long was it before you got together with some of the folks and started uh, the first quit? I remember listening to that first episode, but how long ago? Yeah, we called it the Revenge of the Screensavers for the first three episodes in the G4 complaint. So that was a few months later. It was at Macworld in January 2005. Kevin and I and David Prager, uh, Patrick Norton, his wife Sarah, Roger Chang. Uh, we were at uh, Brew Pub, the 21st Amendment. And, uh, you know, because I was radio guy, I had my microphone and recorder. I had been going around Macworld recording stuff. 2004 Macworld, what were we talking about then? I don't know. I should, uh, 2005 Macworld. I should go back and look. Uh, it was pre iPhone. It was probably an iPod uh, announcement that day. But uh, we were talking, uh, uh, and I thought, well, I should start my uh, recorder because these kinds of conversations are, um, are my bread and butter. It's every tech journalist does this where you'll get together with other journalists. You say, what's new? What's happening? Especially conferences. What did you see? What? So I thought, well, it might be kind of fun for people. I'll record this, and they can hear it. Uh, I did. It was only 20 minutes long. It was pretty silly. People often uh, email me, even to this day, and say, you know, Twitch really gone downhill. You used to cover tech news. Now it's just silly. And I say, you really weren't listening, were you? <laughs> it's always been silly. It was silly. It was always silly. Uh, it, was, it was a bunch of guys and gals, old friends getting together, talking about stuff we loved and joking with each other. And I think that that was why people liked it. I put it up on the website. It wasn't a podcast, um, but I let people download it. couldn't be a podcast. There was only one. And uh, I think 20,000 people downloaded the first one. So um, that kind of light bulb went off in my head. Maybe I could make a podcast out of this. The problem was Kevin was in L.A. doing uh, G4. Uh, Roger was in San Francisco. Patrick was in San Francisco. People were all over the place. I was up here in Petaluma, an hour north. And at the time, I, didn't, I thought, well, we can't ever do this because we have to all be in the same room, and it's not going to happen, as we were for that first one. And then it was around uh, April of that year that somebody called the radio show with Skype. And it sounded good. It sounded better than a phone call. And I thought, whoa, you could do Skype audio, uh, and it sounds like they're in the same room. So the light bulb, a second light bulb, I had a lot of light bulbs going. I'm a slow learner. Second light bulb went on. I thought, oh, maybe I could do a show via Skype. And at the time, we were using Skype's conferencing, which was terrible. So we'd have one Skype call with five people on it, which, you know, when I listened to those, those shows, it was just painful. and and part of what doesn't show up on those shows, because I would spend hours trying to save them, is the pain before the show, getting everything working, sometimes an hour to get everything working, and then the pain afterwards, many, many hours, uh, we would finish Sunday night, and sometimes we'd be there till one or two in the morning trying to make something out of this stinking pile of heap of, of uh, noisiness. Um, for, for a long time we did that. Uh, 
but the technology got better. I got better. Uh, we figured out ways to do it better. We um, we added video uh, a couple of years later, um, and it's just grown bit by bit. So it went from Twit, which was originally the Revenge of the Screensavers in April of 2005. Um, I think shortly thereafter we started doing Security Now with Steve Gibson. I was still going to Canada one week a month doing a G4 Tech TV in Canada. So I couldn't, I couldn't do, like, um, during the week, I couldn't do what we're doing right now. And it just, we added shows. We now have 25 shows. We broadcast 30 or 40 hours a week. We do daily news with Tom Merritt. We do a lot more stuff than we did before. And we have this beautiful studio. I have about three or four questions I'd love to ask you. And I know the answers to all these questions because I listen to a lot of your in-between show stuff. But uh, I wanted, from the prosperity or prosperity of my audience, to have them hear some of the things that you're going to Are you able to tell us about how much revenue you're generating here at Twit these days? Yeah, well, um, 2005, zero. Yep. Actually, I know. You know what? We always made money on Twit because I think even in 2005, um, I told people, "Well, we'd like to keep doing this, but there are costs. If you'd like to donate, please do." And even then, I think people were already uh, initially. We uh, we still do this, by the way. We say two dollars a month is a suggested amount. It's always free. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, it would help us out. And we were making eight or nine thousand dollars a month from the beginning of doing that, and that was more than enough to cover my time. Uh, the costs of it. So we, I shouldn't say we were zero in, in year one. In year one, we probably made you know gross revenues of probably sixty or seventy thousand dollars in year one. Um, I said at the time I, I'm not going to sell ads. I don't like the idea of doing ads. I would rather just have it be listener supported. But what we learned pretty quickly is that only one or two percent of the people who listen ever donate. Most people don't. People are used to free media advertising supported media so I kind of gave in I had been talking with a guy named Mark McCrary at PodTrack which was a podcast focused ad agency even as early as 2005 and I told him at the time Mark I'm never going to sell ads but I'll be glad to talk to you uh, because I give you the perspectives of the advertisers or rather the podcasters towards advertising so you can do a better job for other podcasters and so we stayed in touch and by 2000 I think 7 I said, I think I went back to him and said, okay, sell some ads. <laughs> I can't expand. We got our first advertiser I sold. It was a company that we approached us called Astaro. Astaro. And uh, very forward-thinking, the guy who was working for them at the time, great guy, I've stayed in touch with him, uh, contacted me and said, hey, we'd like to buy some ads. And I said, I don't know how much to charge you. I think our, we charged uh, for our uh, first ads 2500 bucks. That was to reach 70,000 people a week. Um, so we set our first CPM fairly low. When PodTrack started uh, selling it, I think we were charging $30 per thousand, um, which is roughly what we were charging for uh, Staros ads. The, but we did start making money. I think by 2007, I think we made 300, we grossed 300,000 in advertising in, in that year. Uh, 2008, it was about 600,000 in advertising. 2009, it was about 1.2 million. It doubled each year. Um, I hired more staff. I hired a business partner who really made a big difference. She's uh, much more accomplished than I am at business, and so she was able to run the business side because I was doing ten shows a week. I didn't have time. You know, I, uh, the way we made money was me doing shows, so I need somebody else to run the business side. So we outsourced advertising to, to PodTrack to Mark McCrary. They still do all our uh, sales. Uh, we uh, I, I used uh, Lisa Kensel as our CEO. It's a business partner. Did all the biz dev. Did all the uh, hiring of people, running of the of the staff. Uh, in 2010, last year, 
uh, we made $4 million. Re uh, made is the wrong word. Grossed $4 million. We spend about half uh, or more, 50% profit margin. Uh, this year, we will uh, uh, do probably between 5 and $6 million this year. Uh, all advertising, all sold through PodTrack. Um, we don't. We probably won't have a profit this year because we spent a million two on the studio. We still ask for donations, not so, not purely for financial reasons, but but to give people a chance to feel some ownership in it. And one of the things we did was so successful. We had a, a brick drive. Mm -hmm. We have a fundraiser. Uh, we used a company called Fundraisers Limited, uh, and people were able to buy bricks with an inscription on it. We sold eighteen hundred of them, almost a quarter of a million dollars worth of bricks. They're all in our lobby. Um, and again, that was it. Certainly helped defray the. Uh, unexpectedly high cost of building a new studio, but it also, I think, really gave our audience a way to buy into it. And I really, I really think it's important. As I do this, I realize how important it is to um, engage the audience and make them feel like they're a part of it, not a passive consumer watching something, but actually a part of a of a larger community. So five to six million dollars this year, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. The big, huge uh, push for video, obviously, and things of that nature. And I already know the answer to this, but I, I'd love for my audience to hear it. How much of that five to six million would you say is coming in from advertising, uh, from video versus the audio? <clears throat> Where, where's that breakdown? We don't actually uh, make that distinction, but I can I can kind of give you an idea. We charge the same CPM. Our CPM is now eighty dollars, by the way. Uh, $80 per thousand impressions. And we charge the same CPM for audio and video, so we charge an advertiser an aggregate of those two, and we add a little um, uh, estimated bump for the number of people watching live. So, But I can kind of break it down. So a show like, um, uh, say, Twit, which is our largest show, uh, which has about somewhere between 175 and 200,000 views for each episode, uh, maybe there's five to 7,000 live viewers uh, video on that show, and a very some shows have a higher video audience than audio, but on that show, it's a talking heads show. It's about 80% video, 20%, 80% audio, 20% video. So you could say that uh, of the money we make, um, you know, 75% uh, is from the audio downloads, 20% is from the video downloads, and 5% is from the live streaming downloads. Excellent. Something like that. And one uh, final question here is, if somebody's out there and they're thinking about creating an audio podcast, is it too late? They oh, missed gosh, the boat? no. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll say the same thing I said. I, you know, I spoke at the first podcast expo in 2005, I guess it was, and again in 2006. And I'll say the same thing. In 2005, I said, podcast your passion. Do something you love. Do it because you love it. And in 2006, I said, don't chase the money. You, because it's going to be very hard to make money at this. Do it, and I would say that the vast majority of podcasters know I was right. You're doing it because you love it or because you have something to say or because you have a contribution to make. I would say the number of podcasters who, you know better than I, uh, because this is your, your field, but I would say the number of podcasters who actually can make more than it costs to do the podcast is probably in the hundreds, not yeah, the thousands. That would be... And there are probably then several thousand more that make kind of defray their costs with some ad sales. But 90%, 95% never will see any money. So you do it because you love it. Absolutely. You don't do it because you want to get rich. And you certainly shouldn't look at what we did at Twit and say, I can do that. Because, um, you know, 
somebody once asked me, how do you do, how do you create another Twitch? Well, you start with six years on a failed cable network. You build an audience. You know, I've been doing I've been building this audience for twenty years in radio and television, and then made the transition. I had a lot of skills from those media that I was able to bring to bear. I had the equipment because <laughs> I was doing it already. Uh, and I've been extraordinarily lucky and, and, and amazingly supported by a, a community that every day just blows me away. So those things, I don't know how duplicatable they are. But I would say this. Uh, I believe that we are the forerunner in a new medium that I won't call podcasting. I'll call, I've, I've decided to call it micro-broadcasting, where the idea is whether you do audio, video, or live, um, that you are aiming at a ver at a narrow niche of people of enthusiasts, whether it is knitting, Pez dispensers, or technology, but you're aiming at a known narrow niche of people. And if you can hit that niche well, um, those people, as as my audience has, those people will support you, and you can make a living doing this, and you can even build something like Twit. But we are uh, very early in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the reasons it works for us is because we're covering technology. So our audience has the means to figure out and the in, and the inclination to figure out how to get these shows. It's going to be a while before everybody, every you know, buddy and their brother. But it's getting there. You know, TVs now are all internet connected. More and more people are watching Netflix. That's really good for us. It trains people to use the internet to watch shows. Roku boxes really good for us. So all of these things are moving in the direction of letting people watch or listen to shows on their home systems or in their car or on their smartphone uh, just as they would listen to a radio or television show you know of years past as we get parity with traditional broadcasters I think micro broadcasting is the future and you know they people were saying 500 channels that's crazy you know when the John Malone they asked him how many cable channels will there be and he just pulled a number out of his buddies 500 channels well there are 500,000 yeah. channels now. It is crazy. And so the trick is to aim it at an uh, audience that you know, that you are a part of, that you love, that you understand, that you can so super serve. And by super serving that audience, by building a community, um, I think you can actually have success. I do believe that in the next decade, there will be hundreds of micro-broadcasters like Twitters. We, we now are able to do television that is effectively as good as commercial television out of this studio. Uh, that's what I call micro-broadcasting. We're not trying to become a large network. I learned that lesson at Tech TV. Tech TV diluted itself by trying to reach a larger audience than the, than the enthusiast. We're aimed at the tech enthusiast. We don't want a larger audience. We want to serve them better. And we believe that by serving them better, we will be financially more viable. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, I, out of everything you've proposed in the past, I like micro-broadcasting. Yeah, I hated podcasting. You know, in 2005, I, I tried to talk people out of it, and that was a flop. Uh, it is podcasting in most people's mind. But to me, what do you call this live streaming thing we do? Yeah. You know, I think we're broadcasters. I think we create shows. I, and we distribute them on the Internet, but they're no different than broadcast television or broadcast but, radio. I understand, and I, I completely agree with that. And at the same time, though, the, the, the basics, the one distribution channel called podcasting, audio or video, tied to an RSS and delivered, there's still a future. It's not dead. Oh, gosh, it's far from dead, and we'll all, we do it, and we will always do it. I just got Leo to say podcasting's not oh, dead. Oh, no, but, what it's, but what's happened is it's transformed. Uh, I think it's going to yeah. flip where uh, we make podcasts as a convenience to people so they can, yes. if they miss the show, they can get it later. Yeah. But I believe that the future, at least for me, is live 
streaming. And if you you believe that and you set it as your goal and you won't you won't accept anything other than success, you'll make it happen. Well, I hope that's true. <laughs> I hope so too. We made a big bet. We made a million dollar bet on it and it hasn't happened yet, but I do believe that in time this will be the preferred way because it's easier for people to watch. They'll watch live like they would a television network. I will say that I was watching uh, just I was bored one day and I had a few minutes to spare and I went to live.twit.tv. I saw I called It's easy. Twit. I, it was easy. I called Twit. It's I was like 7 minutes into it. I I hadn't yet it's downloaded. I hadn't yet listened to the right. first 7 minutes. So it's like I missed a little bit. I started watching it and I will tell you it cut off and went into a live and it's like oh, Ah, uh, well, we have to. There are things we have to sell. I know. And that's no, no, one no, of yeah, them. And you will. Ideally, we'd be live twenty four seven. Here's the thing: back when I watched screensavers on TV and it rebroadcast a couple right. of times, I loved it. We run the screensavers four or five times in an hour. Leo, I what know you will have happen, to go. What I'm will sorry. happen? I believe. Well, let me finish this. Now. No, you finish. You, you speak as <laughs> long as you want. Huh? What will happen? They're giving me the rap sign. What will happen? I believe is that we have the technology. The distinction between live and on tape is is artificial, having to do with the nature of broadcasting. We have the technology for you to go to a channel and watch whatever you want. Yeah. So if you go to the Roku box, you can watch us live or you can watch an older show and it doesn't matter. You do whatever suits you at the time. If you want to see breaking news or something, you see what people are talking about right now, you'll watch live. If you say, oh, I really missed that security now, I want to see that, you'll watch that. There's the, we have to break out, and this is very important, we have to break out of the box of broadcasting there's a lot of rules that broadcasting may, things like shows are 22 minutes and 44 minutes, that have to do with the nature of broadcasting that we as internet casters don't need to do, as microcasters don't need to do. And so it's really important. I have to do this constantly. Oh, do I have to do that? No, that's just tradition. Yeah. Forget the traditions of broadcasting and start thinking about how technology enables us as microcasters to do it better. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure, Cliff. All right, guys, there you go. That's the interview that I did with Leo Laporte. Wow, I can't tell you how excited I was to be able to do that. If you haven't checked out the video, go over to podcastanswerman.com slash Leo interview. Check out the video. Uh, absolutely had so much fun there at the Twit Studios. Leo is an amazing guy. Let me tell you, as much as I vehemently disagreed with him in the past, and I still don't agree with him totally on the future, not for everybody, at least in the streaming video. If that's his goals and that's his desire, that's his plan, by all means, go right ahead, Leo. Uh, but again, uh, some important things from this interview that I have here as far as notes. I love that he shared uh, with everybody, especially for those of you who don't know Leo, uh, the story of how Twit got started or the, the This Week in Tech Network. And then, of course, uh, I'm so thankful that Leo was very open and uh, very gracious to share with us, you know, the revenue that has been generated by Twit. Uh, 2005, 60 to $70,000 in donations. Now, those donations have continued to come in, by the way, um, since 2005. But anyway, in 2007, approximately 300000 in ad revenue. 2008, approximately 600000 in ad revenue. 2009, approximately $1.2 million in ad revenue. 2010, last year, $4 million in ad revenue, approximately. And then this year, approximately 5 to $6 million in ad revenue. And get this, he shares the breakdown, the approximate breakdown I love this. 75% of the red revenue, 75% of that 5 to $6 million 
is going to come from the audio podcasts, 20% from the video, and only about 5%, still a fraction, from the live streaming. But here's the deal. 80% of the people who download, of all the people who download, by the way, 95% of the people who consume his content, 95% are on the podcast. Only 5% streaming. Okay, still only 5%. This is two years into it. Still only 5% streaming. 80% are download, or I'm sorry, 95% are downloading. And then, of course, he's got the breakdown of those who are downloading. You know, the 175 to 200,000 people downloading just this week in tech, that one show alone. 80% are downloading the audio, 20% are downloading the video. Audio podcasting is still a massive, massive draw for people. It's still what people want. Absolutely what people want. And then, of course, uh, Leo is on the record. Podcasting is not dead. And, of course, I love where Leo says, whether you do audio, video, or live, you should aim at a narrow niche of enthusiasts. You can hit that. If you can hit that niche well, those people will support you. You can do this. The trick is to... Well, you heard it. It's amazing. I loved it. There's more notes at the show notes over at podcastanswerman.com slash Leo interview. God bless you all. We'll be back next week.